Please pray with me. Lord, as we come to you this second Sunday at Lent, we ask that you would indeed be at work in our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would, as we pray and call out the day, keep us from all things that are hurtful to our body and to our soul. Lord, we ask that you would heal us. We ask that you would give us grace to repent. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I went to the gym this week for the first time this week on Saturday. Maybe some of you have had that experience. It happens to me once in a while. I try not to make a habit of it. But uh, sometimes that's the way it is. I have to strive against it. Um, as we are looking at the text today, we look to the Gospel of St. Luke. And we're continuing today in our journey through the Gospel of St. Luke for Latin, which is the lectionary gospel this year. I invite you to open up with me to Luke chapter 13, as we look at this text. Luke chapter 13. If you have a Bible with you, look with me at verse 5. Because verse 5 actually is what we sometimes call the melodic line of the chapter. The most important theme that pervades the chapter. 13.5, Jesus is speaking, he says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is traveling here in our gospel today, as he often does, through towns and villages, we're told. Jesus is bringing the gospel, which is the good news of the kingdom of God. But the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, has a prerequisite for those who would be part of it. That prerequisite, that thing that must come first, is repentance. And of course, repentance is the theme of that. As we look today at the gospel, Repentance is outlined by Jesus, and he kind of fleshes out what it is. Number one, I want to say that he says it's a personal struggle. Repentance is a personal struggle. Number two, it is a time-limited thing. There is a limited time, a limited hour for repentance. Number three, Repentance, the call for repentance, is no respecter of title, no respecter of position in society, the church, or any other way. It's universal. And number four, it flies in the face in many ways of our modern American values. It flies in the face in many ways of our modern American values. Look with me at chapter 13, verse 23. We'll dig right in. So Jesus is traveling, journeying on his way towards Jerusalem, 
is an important thing. And someone says to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Lord, will those who are saved be few? We don't know who this someone was. It's probably someone in a crowd, though, because he's not, he's not identified. The Greek here is better translated, are those who are being saved few, rather than past What's more striking about this is that Jesus responds to this question, which is very impersonal, right? It's like one of those, uh, one of those uh, theology debates, like, are there going to be lots of people in heaven, Jesus? And Jesus responds to it, what? With an impersonal, theological, doctrinal answer? No. As he so often does, what does Jesus do? He owns in on the, the guy that's asking the question, right? What does he say? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. Stop there for a minute. Strive to enter through the narrow door. So Jesus goes from this theoretical doctrinal question to a very personal question. Are there going to be many people in the kingdom of God? Are there going to be many people in heaven? Is the question. And Jesus says, you strive. Not theoretically, yes or no. You will answer the question. But you strive to enter the narrow door. Why does he do that? <coughs> Why does he do that? Let's keep going. Will there be few? No. But you strive, Jesus says. Strive to enter through the narrow door. You see, repentance is a personal struggle. It's not something that's just experienced or talked about. It's something that's lived out. It's something that's thought through on a deep and personal level. That's why it's so offensive when we talk about repentance. Because it cuts us to the quick. It goes right down to who we are in our sinful nature. Repent. What? There's something wrong with me? Yes, repent. You. Me? Yes, you. It's universal. <coughs> In the English, in the King James Version, he says that we are to strive to enter. But in the New English Translation, or in the NIV, it's translated this way. Make every effort to enter. Make every effort to enter. Does anybody have anything else there at the beginning of verse 24? Are there any other translations? I mean, I'm always interested. I look at some of them, but you can't cover all of them. No. What's, what's the idea behind striving here? It's actually a Greek word that's pronounced this way. Adonai sefe. Adonai sefe. It's a command. It's a you do this. What does that word in Greek sound like in English? Adonis or Adonis. You could translate this with a little bit of freedom. Adonis to enter the narrow door. 
agonize to enter the narrow door. What Jesus is saying here is using a term, this Greek term, that means to struggle against danger. It's also the same term that's used in other sources of this time to talk about athletic competitions. The idea of, you know, you're wrestling, you're struggling to overcome the adversary, or you're running a marathon, you're struggling to get past that, that point where you just want to quit, where everything in you is telling you to stop. Pain, struggle, agonize, enter into the narrow way. But what is this struggling? Because this seems to conflict with other parts of the New Testament, doesn't it? You see, so often we're told, right, that the gift of salvation is the gift of God. And that seems to go contrary to the idea of struggling. So, what's Jesus saying? This is coming from his very words. Is Jesus conflicting, or, or is Jesus saying something that conflicts with Romans chapter 6, verse 23? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think so. What then are we striving for? Is this a works righteousness? Is this trying to earn our way into God's good graces? Like somehow we can build up enough good things and weight the scale on that side so we can get into God's good graces. If I just go to church now, if I just do enough works of kindness and mercy, then somehow the balance of scales going to tip and I'll be let in. No, that's not what's going on here at all. But that would contradict other things that Jesus says. What Jesus is saying here is that the act of repentance prior to salvation is a struggle. And the act of repentance after we've chosen Christ and been baptized and brought into the kingdom continues to be a struggle. That it is a war that's going on. There's a competition that's going on inside of us both before we enter in and after we're already in. This is not to take away from the fact that the gift of God, the gift of salvation, is a free gift. The gift is there. Think about it. If Jesus is sitting there holding the gift, and you've got to walk through those doors to get to the gift, do you just get the gift? You're not walking through the doors? No, of course not. You have to walk through the door to get to the gift. You see, this is what repentance is. It's walking through the doors to get to the gift. And what do we make of this? Well, Jesus is talking about how hard that is. Let's keep going in the text. Verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Continue. For many I tell you will seek to enter, you will not be able. Verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he'll answer you, I do not know where you come from. That's Jesus saying here. That there's a limited time for repentance. There is a limited time for us to enter through the door. There's an expiration date on you. And then, furthermore, there's an expiration date on the door 
heart being open. There's two of them that actually are going on, right? Our own expiration date that we all face is that. At some point, we will all come to the end of this mortal life. But what's the other expiration date? The master of the house closing the door. The end of all time. First Corinthians chapter 15 of the Red Last Paul says it this way. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, that is Jesus the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Of course, we probably won't make it to that expiration date, right? God willing, we will. That'd be wonderful if we didn't have to pass the jail of death. But there will be an end, one way or the other. And so, the time for repentance is now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, St. Paul writes to the church, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off, because you don't know what your expiration date is. You don't know that you won't be taken into your sleep tonight. You don't know that you'll walk out the door and get in a fatal car accident. You don't know. Now is the time of salvation. You know, we live in this false security where we think, I've got years. I've got lots of time. I can go be holy later. That's not the case. Ask anyone that's been diagnosed with a deadly disease how that rattles you. You remind them. Repentance is no perspective of title or position. That's the third point. Again, look with me at verses 25 through 30 in the Gospel passage. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and we will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Continuing on, verse 26, then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and taught, and you taught in our streets. The people say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Or as Mark's translation, even Mark's translation put it, workers of iniquity. But that's the same thing, evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and the people will come from the east and the west, and the north and the south, and recline the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. You see, position doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. The call for repentance is the same for kings and presidents and governors as it is for the poorest of the poor, for the weakest of the weak. It's universal. Jesus' call for repentance is the same for the powerful and the powerless. Well, sure, it might look different as to what they're to repent of, but the problem is universal, therefore the call is universal. Whether rich or poor, powerful or powerless, it doesn't matter. He goes on to say, it doesn't matter what country you come from. 
It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how your parents raised you. None of that, in the end, will matter because the call for repentance goes through and cuts through even that. It doesn't matter what religion you profess. By that I mean it doesn't matter what you practice if there is not repentance there. You can, you can try to practice Christianity, you can try to live by the teachings of Jesus, as many do, and still, if you haven't repented, guess what? The door will be closed. It's all about repentance. It's all about repentance because repentance is the doorway to grace. It doesn't matter what education level you have. You can have PhDs. You can understand Jesus. You can understand all about philosophy and theology. And still, if you haven't repented, you haven't had to prove that they are eight. The door will be closed. For no matter what our background, all of us stand guilty of sin and unable to justify ourselves before God. Those who reject repentance reject the narrow way. This is the key. Those that reject repentance in a narrow way remain shut out from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is exclusive in that way, which is really difficult for people to hear today because we want to think of just the good things about God. Here's the thing. If God is offering that gift and you won't walk through the door, does God deny you the good thing? Is God really being exclusive? If you're standing outside that door and will not walk in and receive the gift, is that God's fault? No. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your rebellion. It's your inability to come and receive the gift of grace. St. Cyril of Alexander says this, it says, A stubborn mind will not bow to the yoke of the law. This life is cursed and relaxed in carelessness. How often do we see that in ourselves and around us? A stubborn mind that will not submit itself to the law and is careless, because it cares more about the things of the body, as St. Paul says in the epistle today, than the king, than the things of the soul. Luther and commentator Esther adds this, he says, only bent quite low, made utterly small, disrobed in all righteousness of our own, and only willing to have the coat of flesh, in which he needs our sinful nature, quite removed from us, down to the last rag, can one get through. Only bent quite low, only being disrobed of everything of our sinful nature, is one able to get through. So you see, repentance itself is a gift of God. Repentance is intensely personal and intensely meaningful, whether at the beginning or after we've entered into the church. And one of the things that the church has tried to do recently is ignore repentance. To say, we just affirm you wherever you are. Come in and be one of us. Come and sit in our pew. You see, the great poison of that is that you have people sitting in the pews of churches that have not gone through repentance, and so they think that they're part of the kingdom of God, but they're not. That's a harsh thing. And those pastors will be judged harshly. We must put forward the diagnosis in 
its bad news in order to receive the cure in all of its good news. It's only through the pain of repentance that we can offer the gift of salvation. The call of repentance flies in the face of our culture, of our worries. Our culture is all about affirmation, building up education, acquisition of knowledge and power. It dresses us up and encourages us in unbridled ambition. It tells us that somehow we can determine our own way. It tells us that we can keep eternally youthful through things and treatments and drugs. It ignores the fact that at one point the end will come and the door will be shut. So what's a Christian to do? I think that after confronting that idea in ourselves, we can then confront it in human nature and in our culture. As St. Paul says in verse 18 and 19 in the epistle, I'd like to look at it with me. How do we confront this? First of all, he defines what's going on. For many of whom I have often told you, and not even with tears, this doesn't make St. Paul happy, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. You see that? But what's the contrast? What's the opposite? For the person who's repented, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await the Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And you see, that's the good news. The good news is also found here in this gospel passage where we read, what? Hope you didn't miss it, verse 29. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and are crying the table of the kingdom of God. Behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. What's Jesus saying here? Is, in fact, that you who enter the kingdom of God? Jesus doesn't answer, yes, it's few, they are few. Jesus answers, the door is narrow. You strive to repent to get through the door. But inside the door, there's going to be people that you don't expect to be there. There's going to be people from different cultures, from different backgrounds, from different education levels. There's going to be people from all over who have sought the repentance and grace of God, and therefore are hiding there to have the banquet of the table. It won't necessarily be who you expect. And in this way, the kingdom of God is so very inclusive that it spreads its bounds across all of humanity. You see, anyone that's willing to walk through the doors, anyone that's willing to come and bend low through repentance, can have a seat at the table of the Most High God. It doesn't matter what your background is, you just have to come through the door. So, friends, that key part of the gospel message that we ignore at the peril of ourselves and the peril of everybody around us. 
The struggle is real. And even once we've repented, even once we've come to God, the struggle continues to be real. You know, that great document that kicked off the Protestant Reformation was what? Think about it. What happened in that, that door supposedly been heard? The 95 pieces that Martin Luther nails to the door? Listen to thesis 91, or thesis 1 through 3. Well, there are three of them here, sure. Thesis number 1. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4.17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. What's that mean? That even after we're in the kingdom, our entire life is to be one of repentance. That's why we do that every week here. Jesus 2. The word cannot be understood in referring to the sacrament of repentance only, that is, confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy. That repentance isn't something that you just go to a priest to do. It's not just the sacrament of penance or just coming to church on Sunday and going through the most merciful God prayer. If that's all your repentance is, you're missing the point. Because that's not a life of repentance. That's an occasion of repentance. Point number three. It does not mean solely inner repentance. Such inner repentance is worthless. Unless it produces various other mortifications in the flesh. So, just as it's not just coming to church and experiencing the sacramental rites, neither is it just sitting in your house and repenting and not doing anything about it. That's not repentance, says Martin Luther. It's both together. It's both together. We're constantly turning away from God because of our sinful nature. So, we constantly have to turn back to God, despite our sinful nature. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. It's a way of going through every part of our life. And if you think about it, how often do you sin? So don't be like me. Don't go to the gym once a week. If the gym is like repentance, don't come to church once a week and repent and expect that somehow that's going to make you fit. It's going to exercise. It's going to change your soul. It's a good start. Going to the gym once a week is a good start. But look at me. That could be a lot more stuff. Where is your soul? Are you fat and careless, undisciplined? Then is the time to change. Now is the day of repentance. Now is the time of salvation. If we live like that, we don't have to go around telling people we're going to hell because they need to if we live like that, we're going to look such different, so differently. We'll look, our lives will be such a contrast to people around us that they'll say, oh, what's with that guy? Or what's with that gal? People will see that there's a different way. You see, in many ways, being obedient and repentance 
leads not just us, but those around us to salvation. May God give us the grace to do that. May he give us the, the, the discipline and endurance to do it, so that we might supplement our faith in all virtue, as St. Peter says to us.